Welcome to Light It Up, a podcast about resilient women balancing motherhood, their careers, personal lives, and all of the challenges that come along with being a superwoman. Each week, you'll be motivated to take action to lead, inspire, transform, and empower. Now, here's your host, Dr. Regina Mashira. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Light It Up. I am your host, Dr. Ajina Mashira, and today I have a wonderful guest um, who is joining me here on Light It Up. Uh, Chantel Biddings is a licensed clinical professional counselor um, who actually has her own practice here in the Chicagoland area, and she is also an author. Uh, one mm-hmm. of her books is I Am Enough. So I want to welcome Chantel to Light It Up. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about today. How are you? I am doing well. It's a, it's a Monday. It's raining, but I'm still good. <laughs> good. So um, I want to, I sort of want to jump right into our conversation um, today, um, but I guess we can give folks a little bit of your background. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did complete your undergrad um, work at the University of Illinois, Urbana, yes. Spain. Go ahead. Fighting Illini, fighting Illini. <laughs> Go ahead, let's do the I-L-L. Yes, I-N-I, I-N-I. <laughs> So, you know, we are rivals in that sense because I, I know, I know. <laughs> I went to the University of Illinois at Chicago. And of course, that's always, you know, wherever you run into you folks from Urbana, that's right. here's the real U of I. <laughs> right. Um, so what made you decide your undergrad degree is in psychology? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you pursued your um, you're a national certified counselor here in the state of Illinois. What made you decide to go into the field of psychology? Was this something that you always knew that you wanted to go into the field? Um, yes, actually. I know that's strange. People usually don't say yes, but yes. I had an excellent psychology teacher um, at Whitney Young mm-hmm. office. Um, and so I was, my interest was peaked in high school. And as we went through the course, I was like, yeah, I think I want to kind of do this work. Um, and of course, undergrad is so different from, you know, the work that you do because we have to take so many different classes about everything. Um, but I kind of pushed on through, um, and then I worked in the field for about a year after undergrad, and that really kind of solidified, number one, I needed a master's degree, Mm -hmm. because I wasn't going to make enough money with a bachelor's, Um, and number two, that I wanted to um, specifically hone in on counseling. Okay. Awesome. And I, and I, you know, I'm not going to let that go that you threw in that Whitney Young Dolphins, because... (laughs) Just rivals all the way around, but it's right, all, right, right. It's all love. <laughs> love my Mustangs. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> I live with a Mustang every day, so you know I I can take it. I heard I have heard it all. <laughs> so um, when you so you practiced for a year, or you worked in the field for a year, and then you obviously had to go on and pursue a master's degree. Um, what made you decide to open your own practice and how long have you been in practice? 
So I've been in practice for the last 12 years now. Um, I was working and doing community mental health work, um, which is rewarding within itself. Um, I, I tell people all the time, that is the kind of job experience where you get to see everything um, that you read about in the textbook. Mm -hmm. I felt like I had a really good grasp of kind of working with everyone, every um, background, nationality, race, gender, everything, every um, diagnosis. Um, and really when I began private practice, I started it because the psychiatrist that I was working with at the time was opening a private practice and wanted to have a therapist kind of there already on site for um, his direct referrals. Mm -hmm. So he kind of pushed me to come on, let's get it done. You're ready. You can do it. Um, and so I kind of did all my paperwork, got my malpractice insurance. I already had a site because he had, you know, an office space, um, which is a major hurdle for most clinicians starting up. Um, so that made it easy. Um, and probably a month later, I was full force going forward. Um, and so I did it part time for about five years, kind of working full time, doing private practice part time, um, you know, just because, you know, it's hard to kind of let go of that every two week check and comfortable like, OK, I could do it. But it finally got to the place after working um, in agency work and working for different agencies where it was just like, it's, it's time, um, you know, with all our state of Illinois was downsizing all over the place, closing mental health facilities. Um, and so that kind of uncertainty um, led me to go ahead and launch out and do prior practice full time. Gotcha. And I know, I mean, like you mentioned in the state of Illinois, um, particularly with the closure of different mental health facilities, I know we have certainly seen an increase in the number of um, people who are impacted, you know, from the lack of facilities that are available. Now in 2020, of course, for the last six months or so, um, really longer than that, but six months of where there's been this impact with COVID, yes. um, we, you know, life is different. And um, we know that this has, has a huge, a tremendous effect on everyone because of the way, you know, we're not socializing like we used to. Um, we have to communicate, uh, go to school, work online, remote, you know, just the whole nine yards. And um, I am, you know, I've thought a lot about like, wow, what's going to be the, I guess the final outcome. I almost look at this, honestly, as a social experiment, you know, <laughs> because it's, you know, just by the way people are responding to different things. Have you, what has been your experience working in the field as far as, um, have you seen an increase in the number of, of individuals who are seeking out um, services as a result of, um, I guess, COVID? Absolutely. I think um, I talk about this a lot with some of my therapist friends that we definitely have seen an uptick in the calls that we get, the inquiries that we get, um, and even like um, previous clients returning back, like, okay, I need to 
definitely have my sessions on a regular basis throughout this whole quarantine pandemic time. Um, and I think that uh, for a lot of us, the stressors of um, this change of kind of working from home, kids at home, husband at home, everybody at home working from home, trying to figure it out. Um, and then a lot with um, managing the pandemic. So of course, everything has changed. Um, and also due to like the way so many losses have been coming across our, our, our lives recently. Um, and so I was talking with a friend today, it seems like, you know, everyone is grieving. Everyone is in a space where they have lost people close to them. I mean, it's not just one or two, it's a couple of people close to you or, you know, every day is somebody else, somebody in the media, somebody in the news or a family or a close relative. And so the way we are grieving now is different, not being able to have the big funerals, the big grief pass, everyone gathering together to kind of comfort each other and support each other. It's, it's really different. Mm -hmm. And just in our cultural experience, you know, how we usually would gather at someone's house and just, you know, hang out, be there for them, bring them food, support them. It, it's different. Um, and so that combined with just kind of the the current climate and the social unrest is just a lot for people to manage right now. What tips or suggestions, I guess, you know, for people who may not be able to, you know, get the services that they need or reach out to a counselor, or maybe there's a holding pattern, right, before they can actually start their services. What advice or tips would you give um, those of us who are listening and viewing on what we can do to try to at least and try to manage some of um, the stress or the feelings that we're experiencing right now? Mm -hmm. um, so one of the main things I talk to people about is being self-aware. So um, I talk a lot about being self-aware, about doing check-ins with yourself, just to see where you are, um, how you're feeling, what is stressing you out, um, until we can talk to a professional. Because sometimes we feel like it's just everything. Like everything's coming at you. You don't know how to pinpoint. Um, so journaling helps. Um, you know, taking some time to yourself every day. You know, making self-care very intentional and purposeful. So I would say, you know, taking 10 to 15 minutes every day just to check in with yourself to um, do a, maybe a devotional or meditation, something to help you to calm down for that point in time and um, really be aware of yourself and how you're feeling. I'm glad you mentioned journaling, actually, mm. because um, that's something that, um, that I found to be helpful, but I haven't done it in a while. And like, I know I need to. But when I was doing it, it was very helpful to like, you know, write down what I was feeling or what were some of those trigger points, you know, that made me begin to feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you um, think about grief, I know for myself, um, the last two years has been very, very challenging in terms of dealing with grief. Um, I lost the man that I had um, been with for five years. He passed away suddenly at the age of 43. Mm. Um, and then just nine, 10 months later, my father passed away. Wow. So the last two years have just 
you know, been a bit much. Yeah. And um, there are certain triggers. So I am in tune. I began to be um, more in tune. Um, and I will tell anybody, I am an advocate um, for counseling. And I know in our community, in mm -hmm. particular, it's always been taboo, something that we don't talk about or um, not necessarily em embrace the importance of seeking um, counseling because there's almost the stigma that's placed, you know, on folks. But it seems like we're moving away from that, um, mm -hmm. you know, which I'm, I'm very happy about. What do you think has been the change in terms of people's just overall perception about um, seeking out um, uh, um, counseling? Um, and I think that this is something that is more prevalent, perhaps, in our generation, mm -hmm. kind of where we have realized, like, we don't have to do it all. You know, even though we can, even though we are smart enough, we're, we're strong enough, we're equipped enough, but we don't have to. Mm -hmm. And so there is very much this superwoman syndrome that has kind of been, you know, permeated throughout our community, throughout our lifetime, that you could just manage it all and keep going. Um, and I think our generation is probably the first generation that's realized, like, nah, this is not where it's at. Like, I need to get the help when I need to get the help. Um, and therapy, of course, is being widely talked about in the media. You know, we see it more on our favorite television shows where our favorite characters are going to therapy. They're doing marital counseling, couples counseling. Um, and individual counseling, and I love it. I'm so glad to see it. I think that social media has also had an effect where you hear more people saying, go to therapy. You hear people saying, you can have therapy in Jesus. You, can, you hear people saying like, um, mind your business, drink your water and go to therapy. You know, those great things. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited because absolutely um, there are more uh, people in, of our culture and our community that are definitely reaching out and seeking some help. Now, I know recently, very recently, I think you, mm -hmm. were, you spoke at a church. And mm -hmm. so I'm just curious to know, um, how can, what do you think are some of the ways that we can begin to get um, our churches, mosques, synagogues, what have you, more, you know, willing to um, encourage um, seeking out um, counseling because, you know, and, and I don't want to make light, uh, uh, right. but you know, in our community, it's like, I'm going to take it to leave it on the altar. Mm -hmm. At least that was certainly with the generation, you know, before us. And like you mentioned, I think you're right with our generation. We are, you know, more, um, we realize that there are some things that we just cannot handle and we need to seek out um, the help. And it's okay. Um, I Absolutely. think it's important. It's okay to acknowledge, you know, um, but what, what do you think that we can do to start to get our religious communities to be more um, supportive and more open to encouraging um, their congregation, their members to um, seek out help as well? Um, I definitely believe it has to be a top-down kind of trickle-down effect. 
Um, and so the fact that the, the pastor of the church to have this whole Sunday that was about um, grief support and that he, you know, talked with his ministerial staff about finding people to come in and talk, I think was a huge thing because when the leaders acknowledge, like, we, we can't do this by ourselves, like, no one should be grieving alone, like, you should have support. If you are not okay, it's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to reach out and get help. Um, so I think it definitely has to come from the top. It has to be someone in leadership, um, brave and bold enough to say, let's try to link these services. Let, let's link our spiritual support with our emotional and our mental support. Um, let's normalize the conversation in the community, in our places of worship. Let's, let's normalize that. Um, and so I think when leadership um, grasps hold of that concept, that it's not a competition. You know, we're, we're not, I'm not saying you can't believe what you believe and still go to therapy. I'm not saying that, and they are not saying that. And so we realize that it's not a competition between our emotional well-being and our spiritual well-being, and that they actually work well when everyone is healthy and a whole human being together. Um, when that works well, I think that um, it all comes together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me, um, what, as far as um, grief counseling is concerned, um, I, I want to know, I guess, how do you know mm -hmm. that you need to seek out help? I mean, are there, and I don't know if maybe that's the right question to ask, but mm -hmm. Um, you know, some people, like I stated, are in tune with themselves. For instance, I knew that I needed to go to grief counseling um, when my partner passed away. Mm -hmm. It so happened that I was still in counseling when my dad passed away. So as a result, I continue. Mm -hmm. um, I know people who have also lost, you know, spouses, loved ones who just have not sought out counseling. And, you know, as a friend, I can suggest, you know, you may want to look into counseling, you know, but is, do you think that there's a way that if you know someone, you can encourage them to go to counseling or get them? I mean, obviously you can't make them go, right. but do you have any tips or suggestions on what a, a family member or a friend can do if they know that someone could probably benefit from counseling? Like, would you suggest um, maybe that they go to a session together or what do you think, uh, what, what, what can we do? I think that a lot of times, um, number one, um, therapy doesn't work unless you're ready for it. Like the therapist can't make you better, you know? Um, and so we need to just talk about the fact that when your life issues start to hamper your daily functioning, then it's time for you to get some help. Like, you know, we know that grief and depression kind of sometimes, you know, are, is a thin line. Mm -hmm. So when your grief is extending um, so much so into your life that you can't do the things you normally do, you know, we know you're going to be sad. We know you're going to have, you know, the day-to-day -day struggles and triggers like you talked about earlier. 
But when you can't get out of the bed every day or you can't go to work or you can't take care of your kids um, because the grief is that intense, then you probably should be seeking some assistance. Um, and again, when we normalize it and we, when we take the stigma off of it, it doesn't mean you're crazy. You know? It doesn't mean that you're not strong enough. It doesn't mean that your faith is not strong enough. Um, it just means that everybody should get the help that they need when they need it. So if we are sick in our bodies, if we have diabetes or high blood pressure or a broken leg, broken arm, we're going to get some help. You know, if you have a cough that persists and won't go away for, you know, weeks on end, you're going to go to the doctor. Right. The same with our mental health. And I think we have to just normalize the conversation so it's a not um, a big deal when you go to somebody and say, hey, Maybe you should talk about that with a therapist. You know, I, I think if we all kind of get to the place where it's like, you got a cough, oh, you should go to the doctor. The same way, you know, I think it, it turns out better for us all. Do, with your clientele, um, do you find that um, you see more women um, versus men? In, in I do. Um, and I think that that is primarily because um, most people, when they're seeking out a therapist, they want somebody that looks like them. Um, and so probably 90% of my uh, clientele are African-American women, um, just because they, they wanted someone that looks like them. Um, it's a, a commonality, and it's also like one less barrier you have to face. Like you don't want to translate um, jargon or, you know, common terminology when you go in. You just want to be yourself and not worry about what others may be thinking. Um, and again, that's a personal preference. I'm not knocking anybody else, but I do feel like a lot of people are reaching out to um, find therapists that look like them. And, and I'm just curious in terms of the network here, I mean, here in Illinois, where, how would one go about finding um, a therapist, particularly one whom they identify with. I mean, I know you can go through your insurance company, um, mm -hmm. but is there is there a directory of like African American, you know, counselors that um, you know folks can be directed to to find someone in their area? Absolutely. So there is a website called um, Therapy for Black Girls that's specifically for African American women seeking counselors that look like them. Um, and there also is a, a director for therapy for black men. Um, and so I always suggest those two directories when you are looking. Um, of course, there's a general directory called psychology today that everybody can go to, but you have to kind of narrow it down. But those two therapy for black girls and therapy for black men, you know exactly what you're getting. You can read the profiles. Um, see what insurances or uh, private pay are available um, and go forward, you know, with someone in your area where right now everybody is virtual. So, you know, it makes it the, um, the net even wider that you can pick someone that's available. Um, and so I, I love to give those two references. That's awesome because I've heard of therapy for black girls did not realize that there was one for therapy for black men. So that's good to know. And I've always just kind of done my research, you know, based upon what's in my area. Right. That, 
That's good to know. Now, the unfortunate thing I would probably say is that I know a lot of counselors. So, of course, I'm like, okay, can't go to that person because that's a friend of mine. But um, so um, let's kind of talk about because in addition to, of course, being a, um, a certified counselor, you are also an author. So tell me about this. I I am enough. Um, Well, kind of a running theme that I was seeing in my practice was um, women and self-worth issues. So not necessarily self-esteem, how we look on the outside, even though that's, you know, a a part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely knowing your worth, knowing what you deserve, not accepting anything less, kind of working through what we call the imposter syndrome, not feeling like you um, belong in the room, that you should be at the table. Um, And so I kept hearing the same thing and um, just was jotting down notes. I started having an I Am Enough conference first um, where we kind of had a self-care day. We'd do yoga, we would have conversation, we would have lunch and it would be a nice workshop for women just to come and just be themselves and kind of talk about those things that we face. Um, And as I continue to do the the workshop, you know, taking notes, jotting down things from the workshops, um, the book was kind of born out of all of that. So I went kind of went back through all my notes um, and I had a friend as a publisher and she kept pushing and pushing like, you know, you do this all the time, just just write it down. And so we created a format, we got it done, got it published, and I Am Enough was born. Awesome. I'm going to have to pick up the book because... Yes, absolutely. It's on my website. It's on Amazon. Go ahead. Go for it. Perfect. Because when you mention imposter syndrome, that is something that I know um, for myself working in higher education, I witness, experience it see it a lot just in talking to some of my colleagues because it's not that many of us anyway you know Mm -hmm. and there are times where you do feel like you know you're not good enough you know you are but there's just something that's embedded whether it's something that somebody says or what have you that you know makes you feel that way um and and even when you're going through different life transitions, for example, you know, you can start to, to feel that way as well. So um, I'm sure that if uh, folks get a copy of that book, find some ways to kind of deal with that as well. Do you have any suggestions on um, what we can do to kind of embrace the fact that we are... Um, enough maybe like positive self-affirmations or absolutely something along those lines yeah and I think that um I talk about a lot It's, it's a choice to decide to accept that like you have to actually intentionally and purposefully make up your mind that I am enough and I'm going to behave in that manner and I think when our perspective shifts in that way um, it enables us to uh, not accept less. So we're not going to accept less in relationships. We're not going to accept less in our careers, um, in our educational settings, um, and even from ourselves, which I think is the key. Like a lot of times I think that we extend ourselves so much for everyone else 
and we don't do the same for ourselves. Like we're so willing to give grace everywhere else, but we're so hard and even sometimes mean, you know, to ourselves. And so when you make that kind of paradigm shift that I am enough flaws and all where I am right now, um, you start to um, be a better friend to yourself first. Wow. That actually just triggered something for me right there. <laughs> get your book, girl. Get your book. I, I got to get the book. Because um, I was just, you know, what I was actually thinking about when you were talking about that um, shift and changing your perspective. For some reason, I immediately thought, you know, I have two daughters. And I mm -hmm. thought about my oldest daughter, um, Aaliyah. And there was... Um, I still remember to this day, she was five years old, you know, she's a twin. So her brother is, we got all color spectrums in this household, right? So he's mm -hmm. light with red hair. She's darker complected, you know, with black hair. And I remember one day I was picking them up from school, five years old. And someone commented as people always do whenever we're out about my son's red hair right and how handsome he is and how nice the hair is and i just my daughter stopped and she said so what i'm not pretty because i'm dark mm. five years old mm. and there were times where um she wouldn't say it but i could just tell just her disposition you know when the two of them were together people would all always comment about him and i constantly said to her like you are beautiful, you, you know, and the, where she ended up making this shift on her own, I began to see sticky notes on her mirror mm. that said, I am intelligent, I am beautiful, I'm this, you know, smile today. And now you can't tell my child a thing because... <laughs> almost like, okay, can we bring it down just a little right. bit? Right, totally, totally down, totally yeah. down. But I love it. But, you know, I, I was just thinking about how she had to make that shift. I could all day long just tell her, you know, no, sweetie, you know, you, you are more than enough. You are beautiful. You're smart, et cetera. But she had to change her mindset. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was just, that's just one example of, um, you know, just something that, we probably don't really think about how different things can impact um, you from a young age and how then you can yes. grow, you know, develop into an older person and still have some of these different insecurities as a result of something that may have happened in your childhood. Hmm. And even for that alone, I mean, I would recommend that folks check in every once in a while for counseling because you just never know um, why some of the experiences or the challenges that you have as an adult um, is something that stemmed from, from your childhood. Absolutely. Now, do you also, do you see um, children or adolescents or do you only work with adults in your practice? No, I do see children and adolescents. In fact, I used to see them a whole lot more. I think that, um, kind of this quarantine type making, um, going shifting to telehealth kind of makes it a little bit different. Um, adolescence still is a little bit easier because they're able to talk and kind of process through their feelings. 
Um, but during this time, I have, I have been definitely recommending younger kids to go directly to someone that specializes in that, um, just because they have more expertise in, in the telehealth um, doesn't kind of translate as well with younger kids mm -hmm. um, if you're not special, if that's not your specialty. So yeah, definitely see adolescents. I actually like adolescents <laughs> a whole lot, probably because that's the, um, I started in child and adolescence. So kind of their um, resistance doesn't bother me. You know, a lot of clinicians have a hard time with teenager behavior. Um, I have teenagers, but even before I had teenagers, it just, it didn't bother me. They're kind of like, I don't want to talk. I don't care what you had to say. You know, it didn't, it didn't phase me. So <laughs> I have always been okay with that. Just thinking about how, you know, when you try to talk to teenagers, it's sometimes like pulling teeth. Um, and, and yeah. And then, but yeah. when they're ready to talk, exactly then you need to be ready to listen yes and, and I, the thing is they don't necessarily always want to talk to their parents so you know a lot of times especially if a teenager is requesting therapy get it for them please because when they get to the therapist they're like blah 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 and this and this and this um and so it's they're really ready just like an adult is uh, so yeah if your teenager ever says like i really want to talk to somebody please please get them the help they want do you think that, um, you know, I've been seeing a lot where there's been protests from like athletes who, you know, and, and parents who obviously want their children back into sports, you know, even though we're um, um, doing the e-learning or remote learning. Do you think, um, as far as the socialization, you know, is concerned or lack there, thereof because of uh, the pandemic. Um, what are some um, signs, I guess, that parents should look for as far as, you know, with their children um, and how the pandemic may be impacting their children and, and their mental health? Um, I would say, please keep the door open for conversations. Like um, this time more than any other time is the time when we need to be asking our kids, what did you talk about in school? How was your day? How are you feeling? Um, not just, are you doing okay? You know, don't go for the one word answers. Go for a conversation where you can really kind of dig into how they are, are really doing and functioning and kind of um, maintaining throughout this time. I think it is definitely um, kind of an, a watch area that we need to be aware of because they are not seeing their friends every day. You know, of course they are way more um, social media active. <laughs> mm -hmm. So they are on the different devices, um, but encourage them to like FaceTime your friends, like video chat so you can see another person um, when, when it's healthy, when it's safe, maybe um, encourage some outside kind of social distance, um, you know, small engagements with their peers so that they still get that interaction. Uh, but please definitely talk to them on a day-to-day -day basis and ask them, like, how are you feeling? Um, how is this affecting you? Because um, this is a huge transition, not just for us, for them too. Absolutely. <laughs> Not to keep interjecting my children, but my youngest daughter, who's 13, 
she said to me the other day, I mean, you've been at home every day since March 13th. And I said, no kidding. <laughs> you we know. <laughs> she was like, can you just go back to work or do something? No. <laughs> but I think it's because our school is here, work is here. So I, you know, trying to create the boundaries of your home being your home, right? And not yes. allowing um, work to and school to interfere so much into um, the household day-to-day -day activities is um, probably pretty important, I would imagine. Um, but just creating those boundaries and space um, and working from home for those who are working from home, I'm sure has got to be, um, has got to be, it could be pretty stressful. I mean, for some, they are probably enjoying it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> a good thing can only go last for so long, I think. Right. But um, um, I, I think it's probably safe to say that creating those boundaries are going to be very critical to maintaining your own mental health as well. Because, um, you know, when people were working outside of the home, they had their commute from home, I'm, I'm sorry, commute from work to home to kind of decompress, yes. leave work behind. But now you don't really have that, you know? Like if you're, and then with everybody online and working remote, that's a, another- It's um, a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, tell the folks, because we, I, I know, um, didn't say, how people would get in contact with you if they would like to seek out, um, seek you out for counseling services. Mm -hmm. um, so if you can share that, that would be great. Absolutely. So you can always check me out on my website, www.cbiddingstherapy.com. Um, also social media handles Chantel Biddings LCPC on Facebook and C Biddings Therapy on Instagram. Um, you can go ahead and check in with me there. The book is available. It is I Am Enough. It's 14 days of self-worth, strength, and encouragement. It is on Amazon. So go ahead and pick up your book, have it in two days. It's a really good, easy read. Each section um, has a little work for you to do at the end of each section. So you can put your journaling um, uh, hat on and do a little work at the end of each section. Um, and also, I just encourage you that if you don't reach out to me, to make sure that you make a therapist a part of your wellness team. So you have your, your doctor, your um, dermatologist, your dentist, put a therapist on your team, um, normalize mental health, and um, make sure that you're well from your mind and your emotions and your body. Absolutely, absolutely. Definitely have to make sure that the entire body mind and spirit is all together right yes um, so i'm i'm actually gonna go and order um i have amazon prime so maybe my book will be here the next day <laughs> right <laughs> order my copy but i would love for you to come back um and again on light it up um especially after i have gone through um i am enough and and read through it and done some of the the activities um and there are some other things that I definitely think that we um, can 
can touch on yes well in the future um so i really thank you for taking time to join me today on light it up um remember everyone you can find um chantelle biddings her website is cbiddingstherapy.com Mm-hmm. Pick up I Am Enough on Amazon. Yes. And also on your website, though, too. It's right? on my website, too. Yeah. So make sure you check her out. And if you're in the Chicagoland area, definitely um, check her out. Tell a friend. Um, um, you're absolutely right. We definitely have to normalize mental health. Uh, you have to get the entire um, body in check. So, yeah. Um, Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate uh, you joining me today, Chantel. And I leave all of my guests and listeners in the same way, reminding them to light it up and shine bright like a diamond. Join me next week on Light It Up. Thanks for joining me this week on Light It Up make sure you visit my website at www.lightituppodcast.com or www.ajinamohammed.com. You can also find me on social media using the handle at lightituppodcast. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or you can simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next time, Light it up and shine bright like a diamond.